Sojourn, Chapter 18, The Battle of Mushi's Grove Driz noticed that Montalio looked more than a little troubled after Hooter, back with more news, departed. The split of Grohl's forces? he inquired. Montalio nodded, his expression grim. Wog-riding orcs! Just a handful, circling around to the west. Driz looked out beyond the rock wall, to the pass secured by their brandy trough. We can stop them, he said. Still, the ranger's expression told of doom. Another group of wogs, a score or more, is coming from the south. Driz did not miss the ranger's fear, as Montalio added. Karak is leading them. I never thought that one would fall in with Grawl. A giant? Drizzt asked. No, Winter Wolf, Montalia replied. At the words, Gwenhyver flattened its ears and growled angrily. A panther knows, Montalia said as Drizzt looked on in amazement. A Winter Wolf is a perversion of nature, a blight against creatures following the natural order, and thus... Gwen Hiver's enemy. The Black Panther growled again. It's a large creature, Montalio went on, and too smart for a wolf. I have fought Karok before. Alone, he could give us a time of it. With the wargs all around him, and us busy fighting orcs, he might have his way. Gwen Hiver growled a third time and tore the ground with great claws. Gwenhyver will deal with Karak, Driz remarked. Montalio moved over and grabbed the panther by the ears, holding Gwenhyver's gaze with his own sightless expression. Where the wolf's breath, the ranger said. A cone of frost it is that will freeze your muscles to the bones. I have seen a giant felled by it. Montalio turned to Drizzt and knew that the drow wore a concerned expression. Gwenhyver has to keep them away from us until we can chase off Grawl and his group, the ranger said. Then we can make arrangements for Karak. He released his hold on the panther's ears and swatted Gwenhyver hard on the scruff of the neck. Gwenhyver roared a fourth time and darted off through the grove, a black arrow aimed at the heart of doom. Grawl's main attack force came, as expected, from the west, whooping and hollering and trampling the brush in its path. The troops approached in two groups, one through each of the dense copses. "'Aim for the group on the south!' Montalio called up to Drizzt, in position on the crossbow-laden rope bridge. "'We've friends in the other!' As if in confirmation of the ranger's decree, the northern cops erupted suddenly in orc cries that sounded more like terrified shrieks than battle calls. A chorus of throaty growls accompanied the screams. Bluster the bear had come to Montalio's call, Drizzt knew, and by the sounds in the cops, he'd brought a number of friends. Drizzt wasn't about to question their good fortune. He positioned himself behind the closest crossbow and let the quarrel fly as the first orc emerged from the southern cops. Right down the line the drow ran, clicking off his shots in rapid succession. From down below, Montalio arced a few arrows over the wall. In the sudden swarm of orcs, Driz couldn't tell how many of their shots actually hit, but the buzzing bolts did slow the orcs' charge and scattered their ranks. Several orcs dropped to their bellies, a few turned and headed straight back into the trees. The bulk of the group, though, and some running to join from the other cops, came on. 
Montalio fired one last time, then felt his way back into a sheltered run behind the center of his bent tree traps, where he would be protected on three sides by walls of wood and trees. His bow in one hand, he checked his sword and then reached around to touch a rope at his other side. Driz noticed the ranger moving into position 20 feet below him and to the side, and he figured that this might be the last free opportunity. He sorted out an object hanging above Montalio's head and dropped a spell over it. The quarrels had brought minimum chaos to the field of charging orcs, but the traps proved much more effective. First one, then another orc stepped in, their cries rising over the din of the charge. As other orcs saw their companions' pain and peril, they slowed considerably or stopped altogether. With the commotion growing in the field, Driz paused and carefully considered his final shot. He noticed a large, finely outfitted orc watching from the closest bowels of the northern copse. Driz knew this was Grawl, but his attention shifted immediately to the figure standing next to the orc king. Damn, the drow muttered, recognizing McGristle. Now he was torn, and he moved the crossbow back and forth between the adversaries. Driz wanted to shoot at Roddy, wanted to end his personal torment then and there. But Roddy was not an orc, and Driz found himself repulsed by the thought of killing a human. Grawl is the more important target. The drow told himself, more to distract his inner torment than for other reasons. Quickly, before he could find another argument, he took aim and fired. The quarrel whistled long and far, knocking into the trunk of a tree just inches above Grawl's head. Roddy promptly grabbed the orc king and pulled him back into the deeper shadows. In their stead came a roaring stone giant, rock in hand. The boulder clipped the trees beside Drizzt, shaking the branches and bridge alike. A second shot followed at once, this one taking a supportive post squarely and dropping the front half of the bridge. Drizzt had seen it coming though he was amazed and horrified by the uncanny accuracy at so far a range. As the front half of the bridge fell away beneath him, Driz leaped out, catching a hold in a tangle of branches. When he finally sorted himself out, he was faced by a new problem. From the east came the warg riders, brandishing torches. Driz looked to the log trap, then to the crossbow. It and the post securing it had survived the boulder hit, but the drow could not hope to cross it on the faltering bridge. The leaders of the main host, now behind Drizzt, reached the rock wall then. Fortunately, the first orc leaping over landed squarely into one of the wicked jaw traps, and its companions were not so quick to follow. Gwenhyver leaped around and between the many broken crags of stone marking the descent to the north. The panther caught the distant first cries of the battle back at the grove, but more intently, Gwenhyver heard the ensuing howls of the approaching wolf pack. The panther sprang up to a low ledge and waited. Karak, the huge silver canine beast, led the charge. Focused on the distant grove, the winter wolf's surprise was complete when Gwenhyver dropped upon it, scratching and raking wildly. Clumps of silver fur flew about under the assault. Yelping, Karak dove into a sidelong roll. Gwenhyver rode the wolf as a lumberjack might footroll a log in a pool, slashing and kicking with each step. But Karak was a wizened old wolf, a veteran of a hundred battles. As the monster rolled about on its back, a blast of icy frost came at the panther. Gwenhyver dodged aside, both from the frost and the onslaught of several wargs. The frost got the panther on the side of the face, though, numbing Gwenhyver's jaw. Then the chase was on, with Gwenhyver leaping and tumbling right around the wolf pack and the wargs and the angry Karak nipping at the panther's heels.
Time was running out for Drizzt and Montalio. Above all else, the Drow knew that he must protect their rear flank. In synchronous movements, Drizzt kicked off his boots, took the flint in one hand and picked up a piece of steel in his mouth and leaped up to a branch that would take him out over the lone crossbow. He got above it a moment later. Holding with one hand, he struck the flint hard. Sparks rolled down close to the mark. Drizzt struck again and again, and finally, a spark hit the oil-soaked rags, tipping the loaded quarrel squarely enough to ignite them. Now the drow was not so lucky. He rocked and twisted but could not get his foot close enough to the trigger. Montalio could see nothing, of course, but he knew well enough the general situation. He heard the approaching wargs at the back of the grove and knew that those in front had breached the wall. He sent another bowshot through the thick canopy of bent trees, just for good measure, and hooted loudly three times. In answer, a group of owls swooped down from the pines, bearing down on the orcs along the rock wall. Like the traps, the birds could only cause minimal real damage, but the confusion bought the defenders a little more time. To this point, the only clear advantage for the Grove's defenders came in the northernmost copse, where Bluster and three of his closest and largest bear buddies had a dozen orcs down and a score more running about blindly. One orc, in flight from a bear, came around a tree and nearly crashed into Bluster. The orc kept its wits enough to thrust its spear ahead, but the creature hadn't the strength to drive the crude weapon through Bluster's thick hide. Bluster responded with a heavy swipe that sent the orc's head flying through the trees. Another great bear ambled by, its huge arms wrapped in front of it. The one clue that the bear held an orc in the crushing hug was the orc's feet, which hung out and kicked wildly below the engulfing fur. Bluster caught sight of another enemy, smaller and quicker than an orc. The bear roared and charged, but the diminutive creature was long gone before he even got close. Tifanus had no intention of joining the battle. He'd come with the northernmost group mostly to keep out of Grawl's sight, and had planned all along to remain in the trees and wait out the fight. The trees didn't seem so safe anymore, so the sprite lighted out, meaning to get into the southern copse. About halfway to the other woods, the sprite's plans were foiled again. Sheer speed nearly got him past the trap before the iron jaws snapped closed, but the wicked teeth just caught the end of his foot. The ensuing jolt blasted the breath from him and left him dazed, face down in the grass. Drizzt knew how revealing that little fire on the quarrel would prove, so he was hardly surprised when another giant hurled rock thundered in. It struck Drizzt's bending branch, and with a series of cracks, the limbs swung down. Drizzt hooked the crossbow with his foot as he dropped, and he hit the trigger immediately before the weapon was deflected too far aside. Then he stubbornly held his position and watched. The fiery quarrel reached out into the darkness beyond the eastern rock wall. It skidded in low, sending sparks up through the tall grass, then thudded into the side, the outside, of the brandy-filled trough. The first half of the warg riders got across the trap, but the remaining three were not so lucky. Bearing in just as the flames licked over the side of the dugout, the brandy and kindling roared to life as the riders plunged through. Wargs and orcs thrashed about in the tall grass, setting other pockets on fire. Those who had already come through spun about abruptly at the sudden conflagration. One orc rider was thrown heavily, landing on its own torch, and the other two barely kept their seats. Above all else, wargs hated fire, and the sight of three of their kin rolling about, furry balls of flame, did little to strengthen their resolve for this battle. 
Gwenhyber came to a small, level area dominated by a single maple. Onlookers to the panther's rush would have blinked incredulously, wondering if the vertical tree trunk was really a log lying on its side. So fast did Gwenhyber run up it. The warg pack came in soon after, sniffing and milling about, certain that the cat was up the tree, but unable to pick out Gwenhyber's black form among the dark bows. The panther showed itself soon enough, though, again dropping heavily to the back of the winter wolf, and this time taking care to lock its jaws onto Karok's ear. The winter wolf thrashed and yelped as Gwenhyver's claws did their work. Karok managed to turn about, and Gwenhyver heard the sharp intake of breath, the same as the one preceding the previous chilling blast. Gwenhyver's huge neck muscles flexed, forcing Karok's open jaws to the side. The foul breath came anyway, blasting three charging wargs right in the face. Gwenhyver's muscles reversed and flexed again suddenly, and the panther heard Karok's neck snap. The winter wolf plopped straight down, Gwenhyver still atop it. Those three wargs closest to Gwenhyver, the three who had caught Karok's icy breath, posed no threat. One lay on its side, gasping for air that would not move through its frozen lungs. Another turned tight circles, fully blinded, and the last stood perfectly still, staring down at its forelegs, which, for some reason, would not answer its call to move. The rest of the pack, though, nearly a score strong, came in methodically, surrounding the panther in a deadly ring. Gwenhyver looked all about for some escape, but the wargs did not rush frantically, leaving openings. They worked in harmony, shoulder to shoulder, tightening the ring. The leading orcs milled about the tangle of bent trees, looking for some way through. Some had begun to make progress, but the whole of the trap was interconnected, and any one of the dozen tripwires would send all the pines springing up. One of the orcs found Monteleo's net then, the hard way. It stumbled over a rope, fell face down onto the net, then went high up into the air, one of its companions caught beside it. Neither of them could have imagined how much better off they were than those they had left behind, particularly the orc unsuspectingly straddling the knife-set rope. When the trees sprang up, so did this devilish trap, gutting the creature and lifting its head over its heels into the air. Even those orcs not caught by the secondary traps did not fare well. Tangled branches, bristling with prickly pine needles, shot up all about them, sending a few on a pretty fair ride and scratching and disorienting the others. Even worse for the orcs, Monteleo used the sound of the rushing trees as his signal to open fire. Arrow after arrow whistled down the sheltered run, more hitting the mark than not. One orc lifted its spear to throw, then caught one arrow in the face and another in the chest. Another beast turned and fled, crying, Bad magic! frantically. To those crossing the rock wall, the screamer seemed to fly, its feet kicking above the ground. Its startled companions understood when the orc came back down in a heap, a quivering arrow shaft protruding from its back. Drizzt, still on his tenuous perch, didn't have time to marvel at the efficient execution of Monteleo's well-laid plans. From the west, the giant was now on the move, and back the other way, the two remaining warg riders had settled enough to resume their charges, torches held high. The ring of snarling wargs tightened. Gwenhyver could smell their stinking breath. The panther could not hope to charge through the thick ranks, nor could the cat get over them quickly enough to flee. Gwenhyver found another route. Hind paws tamped down on Karak's still twitching body, and the panther arrowed straight up into the air, twenty feet and more. Gwenhyver caught the maple's lowest branches with long front claws, 
hooked on, and pulled itself up. Then the panther disappeared into the bows, leaving the frustrated pack howling and growling. Gwenhyver reappeared quickly, though, out from the side and back to the ground, and the pack took up the pursuit. The panther had come to know this terrain quite well over the last few weeks, and now Gwenhyver had figured out exactly where to lead the wolves. They ran along a ridge with a dark and brooding emptiness on their left flank. Gwenhyver marked well the boulders and the few scattered trees. The panther couldn't see the chasm's open bank and had to trust fully in its memory. Incredibly fast, Gwenhyver pivoted suddenly and sprang out into the night, touching down lightly across the wide way and speeding off toward the grove. The wargs would have a long jump, too long for most of them, or a long way back around if they meant to follow. They inched up snarling and scratching at the ground. One poised on the lip had meant to try the leap, but an arrow exploded into its side and destroyed its determination. Wargs were not stupid creatures, and the sight of an arrow put them on the defensive. The ensuing shower by Kalendal and his kin was more than expected. Dozens of arrows whistled in, dropping the wargs where they stood. Only a few escaped that barrage, and they promptly scattered to the corners of the night. Driz called upon another magical trick to stop the torchbearers. Fairy fire, harmless dancing flames, appeared suddenly below the torch fires, rolling down the wooden instrument to lick at the orc's fingers. Fairy fire did not burn, was not even warm, but when the orcs saw the flames engulfing their hands, they were far from rational. One of them threw its torch out wide, and the jerking motion cost it its seat. It tumbled down in the grass, and the warg turned yet another time and snarled in frustration. Another orc simply dropped its torch, which fell on top of its mount's head. Sparks and flames erupted from the warg's thick coat, stinging its eyes and ears, and the beast went crazy. It dropped into a headlong roll, bouncing right over the startled orc. The orc staggered back to its feet, dazed and bruised and holding its arms out wide as if in apology. The singed warg wasn't interested in hearing any, however. It sprang straight in and clamped its powerful jaws on the orc's face. Driz didn't see any of it. The drow could only hope that his trick had worked. For as soon as he had the spell cast, he released his foothold on the crossbow and let the torn branch carry him down to the ground. Two orcs, finally seeing a target, rushed at the drow as he landed. But as soon as Driz's hands were free of the branch, they held his scimitars. The orcs came in, oblivious, and Driz slapped their weapons aside and cut them down. The drow waded through more scattered resistance as he made his way to his prepared spot. A grim smile found his face when at last he felt the Ransur's metal shaft under his bare feet. He remembered the giants back in Maldabar that had slain the innocent family, and he took comfort that now he would kill another of their evil kin. Mangura Bak Wuklak, Drizzt cried, placing one foot on the root fulcrum and the other on the butt of the hidden weapon. Montelio smiled when he heard the drow's call, gaining confidence in the proximity of his powerful ally. His bow sang out a few more times, but the ranger sensed that the orcs were coming in at him in a roundabout way, using the thick trees as cover. The ranger waited, baiting them in. Then, just before they closed, Montelio dropped his bow, whipped out his sword, and slashed the rope at his side right below a huge knot. The severed rope rolled up into the air, the knot catching on a fork in the lowest branch and Montelio's shield, empowered with one of Driz's darkness spells, dropped down to hang at precisely the right height for the ranger's waiting arm. Darkness held little influence over the blind ranger, 
but the few orcs that had come in on Montalio found themselves in a precarious position. They jostled and swung wildly. One cut down its own brother, while Montalio calmly sorted out the melee and went to methodical work. In the matter of a minute, four of the five who had come in were dead or dying, and the fifth had taken flight. Far from sated, the ranger and his portable ball of darkness followed, searching for the voices or sounds that would lead him to more orcs. Again came the cry that made Montalio smile. Mangora! Bok! Wok lock! Drizzt yelled again. An orc tossed a spear at the drow, which Drizzt promptly swatted aside. The distant orc was now unarmed, but Drizzt would not pursue, determinedly holding his position. Mangora! Bok! Wok lock! Driz cried again. Come in, stupid blockhead! This time, the giant, approaching the wall in Montalio's direction, heard the words. The great monster hesitated a moment, regarding the drow curiously. Driz did not miss the opportunity. Mangora! Bok! Wok lock! With a howl and a stamp that shook the earth, the giant kicked a hole in the rock wall and strode toward Drizzt. Mangora! Bok! Wok lock! Drizzt said again for good measure, angling his feet properly. The giant broke into a dead run, scattering terrified orcs before it and slamming its stone and its club together angrily. It sputtered a thousand curses at Drizzt in those few seconds, words that the drow would never decipher. Three times the drow's height and many times his weight, the giant loomed over Drizzt and its rush seemed as though it would surely bury Drizzt where he calmly stood. When the giant got only two long strides from Drizzt, committed fully to its collision course, Drizzt dropped all of his weight onto his back foot. The Rensuer's butt dropped into the hole, its tip angled up. Drizzt leaped back at the moment the giant plowed into the Rensuer. The weapon's tip and hooked barbs disappeared into the giant's belly, drove upward through its diaphragm and into its heart and lungs. The metal shaft bowed and seemed it would break as the butt was driven a foot or more into the ground. The Ransour held, and the giant was stopped cold. It dropped its club and rock, reached helplessly for the metal shaft with hands that had not the strength to even close around it. Huge eyes bulged in denial, in terror, and in absolute surprise. The giant great mouth opened wide and contorted weirdly, but could not find the wind to even scream. Drizzt, too, almost cried out, but caught the words before he uttered them. Amazing! he said, looking back to where Montalio was fighting, for the cry he nearly shouted was a praise to the goddess Myleki. Drizzt shook his head helplessly and smiled, stunned by the acute perceptions of his not-so-blind companion. With those thoughts in mind, and a sense of righteousness in his heart, Drizzt ran up the shaft and slashed at the giant's throat with both weapons. He continued on, stepping right on the giant's shoulder and head, and then leaping off toward a group of watching orcs, whooping as he went. The sight of the giant, their bully, quivering and gasping, had already unnerved the orcs, but when this ebony-skinned and wild-eyed drow monster leaped at them, they broke rank altogether. Drid's charge got him to the closest two, and he promptly cut them down and charged on. Twenty feet to the drow's left, a ball of blackness rolled out of the trees, leading a dozen frightened orcs before it. The orcs knew that to fall within the impenetrable globe was to fall within the blind hermit's reach, and to die. Two orcs and three wargs, all that remained of the torchbearers, regrouped and slipped quietly toward the grove's eastern edge. If they could get in behind the enemy, 
They believed the battle still could be won. The orc farthest to the north never even saw the rushing black form. Gwenhyber plowed it down and charged on, confident that that one would never rise again. A warg was next in line. Quicker to react than the orc, the warg spun and faced the panther, its teeth bared and jaws snapping. Gwenhyber snarled, pulling up short right before it. Great claws came in alternately in a series of slaps. The warg could not match the cat's speed. It swung its jaws from side to side, always a moment too late to catch up to the darting paws. After only five slaps, the warg was defeated. One eye had closed forever. Its tongue, half torn, lolled helplessly out one side of its mouth, and its lower jaw was no longer in line with the upper. Only the presence of other targets saved the warg, for when it turned and fled the way it come, Gwenhyver, seeing closer prey, did not follow. Drizzt and Montalio had flushed most of the invading force back out over the rock wall. Bad magic! came the general orc cry, voices edged on desperation. Hooter and his owl companions aided the growing frenzy, flapping down all the sudden in orc faces, nipping with a talon or a beak, then rushing off again into the sky. Still, another orc discovered one of the traps as it tried to flee. It went down howling and shrieking, its cries only heightening its companions' terror. No! Roddy McGristle cried in disbelief. You let two beat up your whole force! Grawl's glare settled back on the burly man. We can turn them back, Roddy said. If they see you, they'll go back to the fight. The mountain man's appraisal was not off the mark. If Grawl and Roddy had made their entrance then, the orcs, still numbering more than fifty, might have regrouped. With most of their traps exhausted, Drizzt and Montalia would have been in a sore position indeed. But the Orc King had seen another brewing problem to the north and decided, despite Roddy's protests, that the old man and the dark elf simply weren't worth the effort. Most of the Orcs in the field heard the newest danger before they saw it, for Bluster and his friends were a noisy lot. The largest obstacle the bears found as they rolled through the Orc ranks was picking out a single target in the mad rush. They swatted orcs as they passed, then chased them into the copse and beyond, all the way back to their holes by the river. It was high spring, the air was charged with energy and excitement, and how these playful bears loved to swat orcs. The whole horde of rushing bodies swarmed right past the falling quickling. When Tifanus awoke, he found that he was the only one alive in the blood-soaked field. Growls and shouts wafted in from the west. The fleeing band and sounds of battle still sounded in the ranger's grove. Tifanus knew that his part in the battle, minor though it had been, was over. Tremendous pain rolled up the sprite's leg, more pain than he had ever known. He looked down to his torn foot, and to his horror, realized that the only way out of this wicked trap was to complete the gruesome cut, losing the end of his foot and all five of his toes in the process. It was not a difficult job, the foot was hanging by a thin piece of skin, and Tifanus did not hesitate, fearing that the drow would come out at any moment and find him. The quickling stifled his scream and covered the wound with his torn shirt, then ambled slowly off into the trees. The orc crept along silently, glad for the covering noises of the fight between the panther and the warg. All thoughts of killing the old man or the drow had flown from this orc now. It had seen its comrades chased away by a pack of bears, 
Now the orc only wanted to find a way out. Not an easy feat in the thick, low tangle of pine branches. It stepped on some dry leaves as it came into a clear area and froze at the resounding crackle. The orc glanced to the left, then slowly brought its head back around to the right. All of a sudden, it jumped and spun, expecting an attack from its rear. But all was clear as far as it could tell, except for the distant panther growls and the war yelps. it was quiet. The orc let out a profound sigh of relief and sought the trail once again. It stopped suddenly, on instinct, and threw its head way back to look up. A dark form crouched on a branch just above the orc's head, and the silvery flash shot down before the orc could begin to react. The curve of the scimitar's blade proved perfect for slipping around the orc's chin and diving into its throat. The orc stood very still, arms wide and twitching, and tried to scream. But the whole length of its larynx was torn apart. The scimitar came out in a rush and the orc fell backward in death. Not so far away, another orc finally extracted itself from the hanging net and quickly cut free its buddy. The two of them, enraged and not as anxious to run away without a fight, crept in quietly. In the dark! The first explained as they came through one thicket and found the landscape blotted out by an impenetrable globe. Deep! Together, the orcs raised their spears and threw, grunting savagely with the effort. The spears disappeared into the dark globe, dead center, one banging into a metallic object, but the other striking something softer. The orc's cries of victory were cut short by two twangs of a bowstring. One of the creatures lurched forward, dead before it hit the ground, but the other, stubbornly holding its footing, managed to look down to his chest, to the protruding point of an arrowhead. It lived long enough to see Monteleo casually stride past and disappear into the darkness to retrieve his shield. Driz watched the old man from a distance, shaking his head and wondering. It has ended, the elven scout told the others when they caught up to him among the boulders just south of Mushi's Grove. I am not so certain, Kalendil replied, looking curiously back to the west and hearing the echoes of bear growls and orc screams. Kalendil suspected that something beyond Grawl was behind this attack, and, feeling somewhat responsible for the drow, he wanted to know what it might be. The ranger and drow have won the grove, the scout explained. Agreed, said Kalendil, and so your part is ended. Go back, all of you, to the campsite. And you will join us? one of the other elves asked, though he had already guessed the answer. If the fates decree it, Kalendil replied. For now, I have other business to attend. The others did not question Kalendil further. Rarely did he come to their realm, and never did he remain with them for long. Kalendil was an adventurer. The road was his home. He set off at once, running to catch up to the fleeing orcs, then paralleling their movements just south of them. You let just two of them beat ya! Roddy griped when he and Grawl had a moment to stop and catch their breath. Two of them! Grawl's answer came in a swing of a heavy club. Roddy partially blocked the blow, but its weight knocked him backward. You're to pay for that, the mountain man growled, tearing Bleeder from his belt. A dozen of Grawl's minions appeared beside the Orc King then and immediately understood the situation. Use has brought ruin to us! Grawl snapped at Roddy. Then to his orcs he shouted, Kill him! 
Roddy's dog tripped the closest of the group, and Roddy didn't wait for the others to catch up. He turned and sprinted off into the night, using every trick he knew to get ahead of the pursuing band. His efforts were quickly successful. The orcs really didn't want any more battles this night, and Roddy would have been wise to stop looking over his shoulder. He heard a rustle up ahead and turned just in time to catch the pummel of a swinging sword squarely in the face. The weight of the blow, multiplied by Roddy's own momentum, dropped the mountain man straight to the ground and into unconsciousness. I am not surprised, Kalendal said over the writhing body.